hear from the Hovis household. Um, it's been a wild year, has it not? And here I find myself uh, in quarantine preaching to you uh, out of my house of what seems to be a providentially timed passage uh, out of Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just first say thank you to all those who have expressed your concern uh, in praying for us. Uh, we're all in seemingly good health with very minor symptoms, um, and we're all, we are still thinking through everything regarding the Christmas service scheduled for next Sunday. Uh, we're going to do something, but we're uh, holding our expectations very loosely, um, and so know that we appreciate your flexibility uh, in this time. And then also, just as a, a friendly reminder, um, our 2021 missions and church planting offering uh, is open through our website on our giving page and will be open through the end of the year. Um, you know, this, this offering is an above and beyond offering uh, where 100% of what you give will be given to global missions to fuel gospel advance, advancement um, around the world with our church planting partners in places like South Asia uh, and Central Asia and Roanoke, Virginia, and now also the Dominican Republic. Uh, and y'all, as soon as we get out, as soon as we're allowed to get to these places, uh, we're going to start sending people uh, because this is our vision. We want to send people to the ends of the earth. Y'all, the Great Commission, it does not stop. Uh, and so if you haven't had a chance to give that, to give to that yet, uh, and you wish to do so, please, please go ahead and do that. And then the last thing before, before we dive in today, um, specifically for today, after this sermon, we've got a, a very special treat. Um, from our Mercy Hill, Mercy Hill Church, Sending Church, uh, from their worship team. Uh, although we, we certainly could have put music together today, uh, they just wanted to bless us this week. Um, for those that are not familiar with Mercy Hill and our Sending Church, um, this is a small opportunity for you to have a peek uh, into our support network that has just encouraged us um, and the Lord has blessed our church with uh, and has been eager to help and encourage us in any way possible. Uh, and this seemed to be a pretty, pretty easy way for them to just jump in and serve us and love us and bless us and encourage us this week. Uh, but before we go any further, I just want to stop uh, and pray uh, before we get into God's Word. So let, let me go ahead and do that. God, we, uh, we love you. Uh, God, we, um, we, we understand that we all come uh, this morning uh, with so many different things on our hearts and our minds uh, in all different places. Um, Father, we know that you are over all things, uh, that we, we trust uh, who you are. Uh, Father, we pray that your word this morning uh, would encourage us. Uh, Father, we, we need your grace. Uh, would you open up our hearts and our minds to he be prepared to hear the word of God? Uh, we're so thankful for all that we do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I, as I already said, um, today we're going to jump right into Isaiah. Uh, we're going to jump into Isaiah chapter 9, looking at our main idea. It's very simple. Our main idea is the hope of Christmas. Um, but before we get to Isaiah chapter 9, I want to spend a good bit of time covering uh, a lot of ground in the Bible. Today, I think you're going to notice um, two different ways that we are, we're going to get into God's Word, uh, and both are very important to us as believers. In the first half of our time, we're going to really engage our minds, okay, uh, to, to really know and understand, become familiar with God's Word. Uh, almost like a, a brief summary of the Old Testament is what we're going to do. We're going to have a very big overview of it. Uh, and then on the back half of our time, we're going to really engage our hearts uh, and let God's Word just really minister to our souls. Uh, every time we come to God's Word, we want to, we seek to do both, engage our head and also engage our heart with His Word. And so, you know, if you're new to the Bible, 
Or maybe, or maybe you're like how I was when I first became a Christian, uh, thinking the Old Testament. Maybe it was just kind of confusing. Um, you know, I, I thought it was because I, you know, I really had very little uh, Bible foundation. I was, I was familiar with some of the stories, but I really, I really had no clue how it all connected. And so, one of the primary uh, reasons I went to seminary was so that I could learn the Bible because it just felt so complicated to me, you know, until I started to see how it all connected as one big story of God's just, of God's redeeming grace. And so I'm going to, uh, so what I'm going to do in the next four to five minutes before we get into Isaiah chapter nine, I'm going to take uh, th- those, these next four to five minutes and do a broad uh, sweeping overview, um, sweeping, just kind of going through the story of the Old Testament, uh, starting with where we left off last week. You know, obviously there's going to be some major gaps uh, and big jumps, but not. Uh, but no matter where we land in the Old Testament, you know, we can take this larger story and plug every individual story right where we are into the Bible. Uh, and then we're going to, in a way, kind of parachute down into the book of Isaiah, uh, zooming in a little bit more, giving some context and a little bit of history where we are uh, as we get into the book of Isaiah, and then uh, going to try and give a, a, a little bit of a better foundation as we get closer and closer to chapter 9 uh, before we zoom all the way into chapter 9 and kind of look at that chapter under a microscope. You know, Isaiah chapter 9, it's a passage full of hope. Uh, and we're just going to let it minister to our hearts and souls as we, as we, as we prepare for Christmas, just in this strange season. And so over the next several minutes, as we fly over the Old Testament, kind of with me uh, as your tour guide, pointing to things as we go, um, you know, if you get lost at any point, I've got really good news. Uh, this is being recorded, uh, so you can come back and listen to it again, okay? Um, but with that said, uh, I hope you're ready because we're about to get going. Uh, the tour through the Old Testament, here we go, it begins. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, seeing the need for Christmas, uh, seeing uh, where sin and darkness entered into God's good creation. It was, a, it was a weighty sermon calling us to mourn the darkness and the brokenness in our world. Uh, and as we saw at the end of our time, uh, Genesis 3, it was a dark chapter, but it was not completely dark. Uh, because in the midst of the chapter, chapter that leads us to mourn and cry, God left, a small, God left us with a small glimmer of hope and an ever so subtle promise, uh, making a promise that one day the offspring of Adam and Eve, uh, someone from their lineage will come in and wage a war and go to war against God's enemy. Uh, seeing that the offspring of Eve, this man, would have his feet bruised in the process, uh, but the serpent, God's enemy, would have his head bruised. And as we, as we now know, that offspring that would eventually bruise the head of the serpent uh, was Jesus Christ, who was uh, born and lived uh, and then had his heel bruised at the cross. Uh, and in the process, bruising the serpent's head, knowing that one day in the future from, uh, from now, from the future from our time now, uh, this serpent head, it will be completely crushed, uh, which is why we celebrate Christmas. Uh, we celebrate his first coming at his birth, while also longing for his second coming, uh, where this evil serpent's head will be fully crushed and put away forever and ever. And then also in Genesis 3.21 last week, uh, we saw one of God's first acts of his grace. After Adam and Eve disobedience, uh, he sacrificed an animal and then clothed them. And uh, and that although they disobeyed him, he still cared for them. He still loved them. 
Uh, and then in, in, God's much, in much of God's sadness, but yet still in God's goodness and kindness, God sent them out of the garden and they sent them uh, and sent them away from his presence because our good God cannot be in the presence of sin and evil. And so Adam and Eve uh, and the rest of humanity from that time forward would be separated from God, separated from the peace of God, separated from his presence. And as they left the garden, sin and darkness began to spread and spread and spread. And so as we read through the Old Testament, we see, we see sin, and we see darkness grow, while at the same time, God is revealing more of his character, uh, showing his holiness and showing his mercy and kindness and faithfulness and patience and his steadfastness. And so in, in every encounter we see in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we see God's character being revealed and also while also humanity's brokenness and need for God also being revealed. And soon after Adam and Eve left God's presence, this darkness grew so rampant and so uh, dark that God sent a flood uh, to wash the world clean and almost start over uh, with a few of his people showing God's disdain for sin and evil. But yet in God's goodness and in God's kindness, God made a promise with the rainbow stating that he would not do that again. Uh, and those few people over several hundred years then repopulated the earth. And then we see in Genesis chapter 12, God comes in and speaks to Abram, a descendant of Adam and Eve. And God reignites his promise uh, that through the offspring of Abram, God would bless the world. And as you read through the book of Genesis, it seems as if God made a promise and then just kind of forgot about it. But no, God did not forget his people. God made a promise and God kept his promise, seeing the steadfast and promise-keeping character of God. Even in those uh, long, dark days that seemed as if God had abandoned them when their days seemed hopeless, over and over and over again, and time and time again, God showed up in their dark days and reminded them of his goodness, and he reminded them of his care uh, for his people. And as if we were to look, if we were to go into Matthew chapter one, uh, a long list of names, the genealogy, um, what kind of seems like reading the phone book at times, it's a, passage, it's a passage of the Bible that's often just kind of skipped over or glazed over. You know, we would see Abram, uh, whom God made this promise to, who God later changed his name to Abraham you know, at the very beginning of that genealogy, showing and tracing his descendants and his offspring. You know, one after another, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah, Judah fathered Perez, Perez fathered Hezron, and on and on and on, eventually leading to King David, a man after God's own heart, when God came in and almost reignited the promise again. Uh, were, were things, uh, were by no means were they perfect, uh, but there was worship of God. It was hard, uh, there was turmoil, but many of God's people trusted and worshiped God, remembering the faithfulness and goodness and holiness and trustworthiness of God. Because they had seen and remembered God's incredible, steadfast love. They knew and remembered each one of those stories in that genealogy and knew that God's grace and mercy was continually shown over and over and over again to his people. Because each one of those stories, you know, we see God step onto the scene, not in their timing, 
but in God's perfect timing, uh, in some of those, in some of those times, even hundreds of years. Uh, but all the while, God remained faithful. And we see the cycle of faith in God's promises, followed by doubt and unbelief. And each time, God steps into these dark times of history and reminds His people that He is with them, that He has not left them, and that He is worthy of their worship. And then after the great King David, a descendant of Abraham, uh, where we see God's, uh, God keeping His promise so clearly, uh, we see His son Solomon built a massive kingdom with tons of wealth. And then as you, as you go through the book of Kings, we start to see, we start to see it all crumble and fall. And this once large, massive kingdom, it divides and splits. And kings on both sides of this now divided kingdom, they rise and they fall. And over and over and over again, you see they were doing what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so during these dark and cold days of evil and rebellious kings, God would send prophets, those who would speak for the Lord and call them to repentance and trust in the Lord. And so today... Uh, we parachute into this dark and cold season of biblical history where it seems as if darkness has won, where the Assyrian Empire is starting to take, take over much of this kingdom that once flourished. And because of it, they are now completely doubting God's promises yet again. The promise, uh, that promise of, of the blessing of Abraham, they think, ha, huh, you're right. Uh, in this moment, they think that, that good God, He doesn't seem so good right now. Uh, they think uh, that God that cares for us, that's silly. Uh, have you seen the world? Our kingdom that God blessed us with, it's being decimated, seeming as if Satan was wreaking havoc in the world. Almost like uh, what we've seen this year. Uh, was seeing a global pandemic, people in isolation, causing great fear and confusion and sadness and anger, shutting down economies, causing economic hardship with perpetuating mental illness, leading to skyrocketed rates of depression and suicide, along with racial division and extreme idolization of politics, causing Christians and churches, friends and neighbors and relatives and politicians and news stations all over the, all over the country to be at odds with each other. And then... The prophet Isaiah steps onto the scene with a word up from the Lord to God's people, saying to them, this is God's word for you. Listen, I've got hope. Listen. And so this is our setting, you know, as we get into the book of Isaiah. You know, I told uh, Kelly this week, uh, preaching out of Isaiah in quarantine, I thought it'd be kind of nostalgic, adding a bit of dramatic effect, maybe. And then I told her in some ways, I kind of felt like the Apostle Paul uh, writing uh, to his church from a prison cell. And she looked at me and said, Eric, uh, stop being dramatic. You are not in prison. We are in the comfort of our own home in sunny Florida, decorated for Christmas. Uh, our kids have recently been introduced to the great season of the Brady Bunch, which they have been binge watching. Eric, this is not, this is not prison, okay? Um, it's like, well, talk about a buzzkill. Uh, but here we are uh, with a word of hope from the Lord uh, coming into a season of biblical history that seemed dark and hopeless. And so all that to say, we come to the book of Isaiah. And as we just to kind of give some understanding of the first few chapters, uh, before we get to the great chapter nine of Isaiah, that's full of hope for Christmas. 
The first five chapters of Isaiah are confronting the kingdom of Judah's sin. Which, if you remember, uh, just from our quick Bible history lesson, uh, that was one of the two kingdoms that divided after King Solomon uh, and David. And just to make it simple, uh, the kingdom of Judah that once served God, believing in God's promises, have now rejected God, and they're now serving false gods, uh, pagan gods. And then in chapters 6 through 12, uh, of, of Isaiah, where we'll be today, specifically in chapter 9, like I've, been, like I've been saying, in the midst of this dark time in history, God paints for them a vision for their future, uh, where God's grace will preserve a people for himself that he will enjoy forever. And through a progression of this vision, God starts individually with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6. When Isaiah sees the glory of God, if you remember this great chapter, uh, in his full splendor and holiness, with the glory of God, it filled the temple. And in response, Isaiah sees the weight of his sin and says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And after seeing the glory of God and understanding the weight of his sin, God says, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. Showing incredible grace, showing much grace to Isaiah. And then in uh, chapters 7 through 9, we see God move from speaking individually to Isaiah to God addressing then an entire people through Isaiah. And so God comes in and speaks grace to one of these divided kingdoms, right? the kingdom of Judah that was under the leadership of a bad king who was named King Ahaz. And the Bible says that this king, that he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of this bad king, Ahaz's rule, uh, God sends Isaiah to come and speak uh, God's word to him and warns King Ahaz and seeks to call him back to faith in God. And in all of this, the Lord says to this faithless King Ahaz, speaking to King Ahaz uh, speak, so that they could speak for his entire people, uh, there are many things that he said, but in Isaiah 7, uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 14, he says to Ahaz, speaking to his entire kingdom, this is what it says. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, telling King Ahaz for, his, for this entire kingdom, continuing to slowly, and continue to slowly instill more hope that one day this long-awaited Messiah from the line of David and Abraham and the offspring of Eve will be born from a virgin. And you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then we see the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 8, speaking with the Lord, saying, He will wait and fear the Lord. Saying, I will hope in the Lord. Even while everything around him seems so incredibly dark, he puts his stake in the sand and says, I will hope in the Lord. In fact, at the end of chapter 8, in verse 22, right before we get to our passage today, the Bible says there was thick darkness. That's what it says. It says, there was thick darkness, uh, which is exactly where the prophet Isaiah placed his stake down, saying, my hope is in the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. And all of a sudden, in Isaiah chapter 9, with this intense backdrop of thick darkness, we step into a vision of incredible hope of Christmas, the light of Christmas that comes when Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God who is with us, comes onto the scene. 
And then look what God's word says, starting in, in verse two. Uh, read it with me. There's, there's six verses here. So read uh, verses two through seven with me. Follow along. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, dark, deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. And so for the rest of our time, this is where we're going to stay sitting in the incredible hope of Christmas. And what we'll see is that this incredible hope of Christmas is a person of who we now know is Jesus Christ. When everything was surrounded with deep darkness, by deep darkness, Jesus Christ, a person, a baby, a child, was their hope and is today still our hope. It wasn't better circumstances. It wasn't a defeated army, not a larger kingdom or a restored kingdom. No, it was and is Jesus Christ. It's a person. The hope of Christmas is a person. And we think about who Jesus is and what we gain through Jesus' birth. Uh, These six verses in Isaiah chapter 9, they ring true for us. Uh, This is Emmanuel. This is our God who is with us. And so for the back half of our time, I want to just sit in these truths of what we have in our hope of Christmas, Jesus Christ. I don't have any points, uh, just God's word to minister to our hearts and to our souls. You know, imagine imagine this as you're sitting here in my house with me uh, with a troubled spirit, you know, experiencing a deep darkness. Uh, and, and as your brother in Christ, as your pastor, sitting here praying these words uh, with you and over you, uh, knowing that I deeply care for you, right? knowing that my, my wife, she deeply cares for you, knowing that you have a safe space here with us, uh, here in our house with us, knowing that if you call New City Church your home church, uh, you're prayed for regularly, uh, that we are here for you, that we love you. And so whatever you come here with today, whatever worries Uh, Whatever struggles, whatever pain, whatever hardship or loneliness or anger uh, you bring, let these words of hope from Isaiah's dark days minister to your heart and soul and let it fill you with the hope of Christmas. And I know and understand that everyone comes here today with all different experiences. Uh, maybe, Maybe today you woke up Uh, knowing and experiencing the joy of the Lord, celebrating the goodness of God, delighting in the Lord. And and we pray, we we praise God for that. Uh, We want to celebrate with you. If that's you, would you you see that as a grace in your life and seek to be a blessing to someone today? Uh, Maybe reach out or call or text someone. Uh, Let them know that you're praying for them and that you're thankful for them. Uh, But if that's not you today and you come in with a heavy heart, uh, just hear God's good word of hope today. 
And so let's go through this again, a few verses at a time. Now, let's look at verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Pay attention to the grace of God in this verse. Isaiah says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those in deep darkness, a light has shone. Listen, if you're a Christian and you're watching here today, this is the grace of God in your life. Because listen, you were, you were once like me, you were once walking in darkness, but the light of the gospel, <laughs> the light of Jesus Christ has been shown on you. <laughs> this is uh, the complete grace of God in your life. This is the joy of our salvation, of having the light of Christ. While we were walking in darkness, God appeared to us, making himself known to us. This is God's complete grace. You did not earn this. You did not deserve this. God looked at you and me, saw us walking in the dark, walking in our sin and disobedience and said, I'm going to shine a light on you. The birth of Christ coming into a deep darkness is the grace of God. It's a scandalous grace. A holy God that we uh, as Uh, broken humans could not come to, he came to us as a baby that needed to be held by sinful humans. He came as a light into a dark world. Don't miss that today. The hope of Christmas is an act of God's grace. It's the grace of God in your life, uh, in my life. This instills hope. Brother and sister, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord, that's God's grace for you. And because of that, you have hope today. You have hope. Praise God for that. Then look at verse 3. He says, If you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And this is a picture of uh, great military-like victory uh, because in a season where they're being overtaken by a military, uh, left a, a small, it left a small remnant of God's people. God gives them a picture of hope and victory, knowing that God will multiply the nation. God will spread uh, His people, that the joy of God, it, it will increase. God's people will rejoice and sing with an abundant harvest, is what it says. This is the way of God's kingdom. There are dark and dry seasons while also seasons of abundance and plenty of celebrating God's abundant victory. And in all, se- in all seasons, God is good and faithful. And so whatever season you're in right now, would you trust and believe and remember God's faithfulness? Hear that today. Just, just spoken over your life, wherever you are, that the Lord is faithful, that the Lord is good, and that the Lord, the Lord can be trusted because the Lord is always working. The Lord is always moving. And we live, we live in a time in history where God's everlasting kingdom is always advancing. It's always taking root in the lives of people. And it comes through the proclamation of our hope of Christmas, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we can know and trust that God's word, it never comes back void. Knowing that God is in the business of seeking to increase joy and gladness through the worship of Himself all over the world. And when this happens, 
we can rejoice. And because this is happening all over our world, with the gospel still advancing, brothers and sisters, we, we have hope. You know, just imagine with me, um, as you're sitting here with me in my living room, um, coming in with a deep darkness of Isaiah chapter 8, and then all of a sudden, the Lord starts to give a vision of hope knowing that there will be a season of an abundant harvest of people coming to faith uh, that will come in His time, in His perfect timing, and at His pace, and during His season. He doesn't say when or how or where, but He instills this hope of joy. And your weary, your weary heart in this moment, it begins to break a smile, knowing uh, that in God's time, a harvest will come that will increase God's everlasting joy. And as we uh, then enter into, uh, and then we enter, enter into verses four and five. This is what it says. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, of uh, the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood uh, will be burned as fuel for the fire. If you remember uh, at this time in history, they were being overtaken by a military. The enemy, so to speak, it seemed all around them. And here, Isaiah has a vision of hope, seeing that a burden will be lifted, showing that God is a victorious warrior, reminding them of a great battle, the great battle of Midian, where 300 valiant men of God defeated an exponentially larger battle, a larger Midian army, uh, when it seemed completely impossible. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. This is our light of Christmas. Uh, when Jesus Christ came into the world, He came to bear burdens and, and, go, and to go to war against sin and darkness. And if we have this light of hope, Jesus Christ, He is pleading to God, for us. And he is fighting with us and he is fighting for us. This is our hope of Christmas, showing us and reminding us in our next verse that this hope is a person. That's what we see in verses six and seven. Look what it says. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Brothers and sisters, wherever, wherever you are today, uh, whatever you come with today, as we prepare for the Christmas season out of a backdrop of deep, darkness. Our hope for Christmas is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, was born a baby, knowing that He would be born to die, to ultimately hold up an everlasting kingdom that has no ends. That this everlasting kingdom, uh, He would hold it up uh, and our worldly government, it would be held on His shoulders. This baby grew up uh, to become a king, to establish justice and righteousness forever. Isaiah said, from this time forth and forever, which includes us here today, this valiant warrior, 
who would be born a baby and grow up to be a, become a king, who would fight our battles, who would plead for us on our, on our behalf and establish justice and righteousness. This king is our hope and this king, the son of God, uh, Isaiah gives him, uh, gives us a fourfold name. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. You know, so we're going to spend the last little bit of our time here today diving into these four names of our Messiah that characterizes and describes the greatness of Jesus, our hope. That describes what this baby would be born to be and provide for God's people. You know, when we think about the different names of God, they have, you know, they have different, uh, they have a different weight to them. They hold a weight to them and they have, there's meaning. Uh, they're describing his character. They're getting this kind of, it's God's identity. You know, we, we as Americans, uh, we often uh, don't do this with names. Um, the names of, you know, but the names of God, um, they always describe his character. They're, they're always true. Like the name Jesus, it means to deliver or rescue. Uh, the name Messiah, it means anointed uh, and set apart by God. The name Emmanuel, uh, what we saw earlier, means God with us. And so uh, they all have meaning. They all hold weight. And so uh, if you want to learn about who God is, we could look at just his names throughout the entire Bible. You know, but we Americans, <laughs> we don't often do this. And when we do, it's the parents often seeking to instill some sort of identity into their children, you know, which is a good thing. Um, but what often happens, like <laughs> with our family, um, we just pick a name that we like, often not associated with any meaning. For example, our kids are named Addie, Stockton, and Millie. You know, I looked up the meaning of their name this week. You know, there's all, there's all sorts of meanings uh, depending on where you look and what background it kind of comes from. And um, depending on where you look, Addy means noble. It's like, okay, well, that's, that's nice. That's good. Um, Millie, you know, it means industrious. And well, you know, she's industrious. That's, uh, that's true. Um, you know, in some places it gives them the, the meaning ambitious or gentle strength. Uh, we'll go with that one. That sounds nice. And then our son, Stockton. Uh, Stockton means tree, trump, settlement. It's like, well, sorry, son. Um, that doesn't define you, okay? That is not your identity. That is not, you are a, you're a child of God, right? Like if, if you know Christ, you're a child, you're his son. So, uh, but that's not, what, that's not how it is with God's name. They're always true of his character. Not what we want him to be or what we hope for him to be. No, but who God truly is. And so here we have these four names of God that gives us an insight into his character. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. You know, when we look at uh, God as our wonderful counselor, what incredible news. God is our counselor, as our counselor. Uh, he has infinite wisdom that allows us to come to him with all of our mess and emotion and sadness and grief and joy and angst and fear and worry and, and tears and confusion. And he listens and he understands and he helps, he helps us sort through all of it. Help us, he helps us sort through the craziness of our life in a safe space. You know, God's wisdom and counsel is always wonderful. It never falls short. It never fails. God is present with us and understands us and knows us and can give us clear direction. God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God is always available for us, is never too busy for us, and knows the depths of all of our thoughts and emotions and needs and wants and desires and longings. And all the while, knowing exactly what's best for us in the midst of all of it. God is always, God always knows what's right around the corner. 
and never surprised and he's never caught off guard. Why? Because not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he's also a mighty God. Not only does he care for us with an infinite wisdom, but he with, uh, with and with complete care, clarity and tenderness and gentleness and love and trustworthiness, but he is also he also knows all things, sees all things, and holds all things in his hands. He's over all things. This is our mighty God, the same God that clothed Adam and Eve in the garden by his grace and mercy and care is the exact same God that spoke the very world into existence by his very word. He's the exact same God that parted the Red Sea, that brought manna down from heaven, and and who spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Our God is not only a wonderful counselor with infinite wisdom and personal care, but our God is mighty and has incredible power at His disposal that can turn a hard and rebellious heart. And He can turn it soft and tender, and He can make an obedient heart. God, by His very Word, speaks and gives life. And by the indwelling Holy Spirit, takes what seems impossible, takes a person that seems too far off and too far gone, picks them up out of their miry pit, and brings them into the flourishing care of the wonderful Counselor. God has the ability to take a dead, uh, to take dead, dry bones, a dry and weary soul, and breathe life and joy in a flourishing spirit, giving streams of life into what seems to be a dry and weary land. This is the power of our mighty God. This is the power of our wonderful Counselor and our everlasting Father. Our God is a wonderful Counselor, a mighty God, and He's also an everlasting Father. Brothers and sisters, God not only cares for us and directs us and exercises his mighty power through us and over us, but he is also our father forever, which means we're his children. We've been adopted as his children, which means we're under his protection. We're under his good and steady protection and his good and steady provision. And not only that, we're always his. You know, just like my kids will always be my children. There's nothing they can do to not be my kids. I'm always their father, right? whether, whether they like it or not. God, our everlasting father, is steady and sure, provides and protects, gives infinite security to his children forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, what good news. Like What, what a hope. Even in turbulent times, God's children are safe and secure with their everlasting Father held safely in His loving and steady arms, which gives incredible peace to His people. Why? Because our God is also the Prince of Peace. Our God gives generously and lavishly a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not always peaceful circumstances. It's not always uh, an easy quiet life, but the Prince of Peace, when we come to Him, our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, when we come to Him in humility, coming to His Word, eager to hear from Him, uh, longing to be in God's presence, our God, our Prince of Peace, loves to lavish a sustaining grace and a peace of heart and a peace of mind over His children. Brothers and sisters, when Christ was born, this is the hope that came with him. I don't know what you come with today. I don't know what weight and what burden you're holding. I don't know what anger or sadness or fear or joy or excitement or eager expectation you may have today. But wherever you are, 
just as if you were just sitting here with me in my house today, in my living room. Hear the word of God spoken over your life. If you claim Jesus Christ as Lord, you have at your disposal a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace fighting and laboring, and he is praying for you. He's praying for you. He's fighting for you. Why? <laughs> because Emmanuel has come to us. He's reminding, knowing that God, our God, is with us. New City Church, this is our incredible hope of Christmas. Let's pray. God, you're good. You're gracious. You're a wonderful counselor. You're a mighty God. You're an everlasting Father. You're a Prince of Peace. God, we, would we believe that today? Would we let that just uh, overwhelm our hearts and our minds uh, with the grace of God, knowing that we are uh, held deeply and lovingly and carefully in your arms, steady and sure? God, you're good. Uh, would we be reminded uh, and, and have an eager hope and expectation, of just remembering the great hope that we have at Christmas? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.